good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to all of you who are online. And you know, that is some pretty exciting news, isn't it? About the parking lot getting started this week. And uh, yeah, and so if you're still interested in knowing more, you can uh, talk to us after the service or go to wallacebible.com backslash grounded. And uh, you, can, you can give, sign up to give, partner in however you'd like. And just as a reminder too, we're tithing off of this project uh, to build a home for uh, about 70 girls uh, overseas. And so we're really looking forward to that opportunity as well. And uh, you know, we were joking in the office this week when they dropped off all that equipment, if there would be more little boys checking it out after the service or more grown men gawking at it after the service. So you can go check maybe afterwards and see who's standing around checking it all out. Hey, uh, did you ever hear the phrase, uh, don't count your chickens before they're hatched? You know what it refers to, right? Like, don't, don't get every, everything, don't get ahead of yourself uh, assuming you've got a victory or a win or whatever else before you really have it. Well, I, I was watching and I saw this highlight on SportsCenter this week of a motorcycle race last weekend. And this guy was going, well, let me just show it to you. He thought he had won the race, but there was actually a lap to go. Check it out. Maybe. Maha, man. Alexis Bargro has got a problem. Can you believe this? On the last lap, Alexis Bargro is withdrawing from this Barcelona Grand Prix. On the last lap, he got his hand up. We just saw there Jorge Martin came through on him down the main straight. Does he think the race is finished? I think he thinks it's over. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? What a howl by Alexis Bargro. That look says it all, doesn't it? And it reminded me too of another uh, guy on a bicycle, and uh, he was thinking he was going to win his race. When, oh, the, the funny thing is, in this video, though, we had the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, look, just look how sad he looks when he crosses. Yeah, pretty dejected. I, I got into this this week looking on YouTube at these videos. I thought I'd share a couple more. You good at that? Check out this guy, this, this soccer goalie who thinks that he's made the game-winning save on penalty kicks. Uh, watch this. chickens before they hatched, didn't he? And then one last one. This is maybe my favorite of all time. A guy by the name of Kemba Walker uh, played, played basketball for the Charlotte Hornets, and he thought he made just this incredible three-point shot, but check this out. Change shot. Walker, long three. And now watch his reaction. And the rebounder Richards here. Still an opportunity with a minute to play. Isn't that great? Oh, no. 
you know, those last two, the, the soccer goalie and Kemba, um, they kind of illustrate one of the two guys Jesus tells a parable about this week. Uh, this week we're in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the parable of the tax collector, uh, excuse me, I should say the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we're gonna see that in these two men, in one we see one who has incredible confidence in who he is and in what he has accomplished on his own. And in the other, we have an illustration of a man who is uh, incredibly humble, um, incredibly somber before the Lord and understands that really he hasn't done anything to accomplish anything but his dependence is fully on God and not himself. And it's gonna beg the question this morning, where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thanks for your word. And Jesus, thanks for your parables and your stories uh, that, that teach us in ways that uh, are, are really more profound and, and deeper and reveal your heart in a unique way to us. Uh, and we can carry them with us in a way sometimes other teachings we don't. Holy Spirit, would you do that work today? Uh, Show us uh, the truth of the gospel, the truth of uh, what it means to trust you and and not in ourselves. And Lord, if we are trusting in ourselves, help us uh, to repent today. Use me, I pray, and uh, speak to and through me by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we're in a series called Parables, and we're looking at Jesus telling stories this summer. And, but they're not just stories, because a parable is, is a story, but it's a story that's intended to illustrate and to teach. It, it has more to it than just a story on the surface. There's, there's a sense where, you know, like we saw last week, Jesus said, those who have ears, let them hear. It means I've got to lean in and pay attention if I really want to see what is Jesus teaching through this. Because if I stay back, what's going to happen is I'm just going to hear a good story and then I'm going to go on with my life and nothing's going to change. And we saw last week that Jesus' parables, for some who just hear a story, it conceals the truth. But for those who lean in and really wish to hear, Jesus' parables reveal truth. So, so be someone to whom truth is revealed today and not concealed. Well, as we begin in this parable in Luke chapter 18, there's actually a parable that precedes it. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 18, verse, uh, verse nine. But in verses one through eight, uh, Jesus tells another parable. And in this parable, we're not gonna look at it this morning, but it's just good to note that in that parable, he, he told the parable of the persistent widow and, and taught that, it's good to continue praying, to pray and to not give up praying, to keep asking God, to to be persistent, coming back to him over and over. And he just talks about that persistence in prayer and dependence on him. And then in this parable that follows, the one Luke puts right after it, we move from just that action of being persistent to the attitude of the heart in prayer. Because some of those who are listening only heard from Jesus a good story. They only heard, oh yeah, just do this, do this, do this, be persistent, go for it, and then God will hear you and he'll answer you. But Jesus knew this, and so then he goes on to speak to some of those people and reveal to them that this has more to do 
with than just their actions. It has to do with their heart. Because some people trust in their own goodness. And some of us, we've been those people, haven't we? Some of us at times in our lives, we've, before we, maybe we understood the gospel, we trusted in our own goodness, thinking we could do enough somehow to be right with God, to be loved by God, to be accepted by him. And sometimes we still kind of do this in general, trying to earn favor from, from other people. But Jesus speaks here, he, he switches gears to where most of his parables are told to his followers. This parable is actually told to those who are trusting in their own goodness. Uh, look at this, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse nine. Uh, he also told this parable. He told it to some who trusted in themselves, who, who had their trust totally in themselves. And what was their trust? What was that they were righteous? Um, this is a parable directed at some of his opponents those who are confident in their own righteousness. They were sure, in other words, that they were right with God. I wonder, do you have that assurance that you're right with God? What's it based on? Because these guys that Jesus is teaching to, they had assurance they were right with God, but their assurance wasn't based on the gospel. It was actually based on their own righteousness, on their own good deeds on doing enough themselves. In fact, you know, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, and I'll hear this occasionally, well, I don't know if I'm gonna make it to heaven, but I just have to trust that I've done enough good things that'll outweigh the bad. Or maybe they look at somebody else and maybe you've done this or maybe you're even doing this today. You know, I've got some faults, I'm pretty messed up, but I'm not as messed up as them. So surely I'll make it in, right? God will save me. That's these guys that Jesus is speaking to. If, if that's you, Jesus is talking to you today. See, he said, uh, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, in themselves. And not only this, but they treated others with contempt. In other words, they looked down on other people. Uh, those who didn't match their standard of righteousness uh, they look down on him. You know, they don't, they don't measure up. The problem is that their standard of righteousness is still below God's standard of righteousness. And whatever your standard of righteousness is, it doesn't compare to God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is what's required to be right with him. And so your own righteousness, your self-righteousness, self-proclaimed righteousness falls short of God's and, and it, it makes you to trust in yourself. See, some people trust only in their own goodness. Well, uh, Jesus begins to tell this parable and he's telling it to these people. And uh, here's what he says, verse 10. Uh, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Well, these people who are trusting in themselves were the Pharisees. They were the Pharisees. And so when they hear this, they're thinking, oh, he's talking about us. But he's not only talking about us, he's talking about a tax collector. 
the tax collectors were despised. We're gonna talk about them in a little bit here this morning, but uh, when the Pharisees heard this, they, those who looked at others with contempt, the ones they looked at with more contempt than maybe anyone else were exactly these people, the tax collectors. And, and so Jesus is speaking to them. He, he's speaking to these people. He's speaking to the Pharisees. So let's talk about who the Pharisees are. Um, the Pharisee, uh, they were considered the most pious people in, in all of Jewish society. They were uh, considered to be the most righteous, the most holy, uh, just the, the ones who did better and worked harder than anyone else at pleasing God. And, and, and in many ways, they did. See, the Pharisees originated a um, uh, hundred plus years before uh, Jesus was born and walked the earth. And, and originally, um, they actually started off with pretty good intentions. Rome had invaded uh, the land of Judea and Israel. And, and so the Pharisees were a group of people who said, uh, you know, the Romans are coming in with, with their tradition, with their ways of worship and their gods. And the Pharisees said, okay, some of what you're bringing in is good. We can accept that. But uh, some of what you're uh, bringing in, we have to reject. And so we can receive some things, but we have to reject others. And so they said, we can, we can accept you and, and go along with you, but only to this point. Well, this point, that line in the sand, which was according to God's word, eventually became this line, and then this line, and then this line. And so with their good intentions of kind of setting up some boundaries of, of, of following the Lord and, and making sure that they didn't uh, succumb to unrighteous things, they began to trust more and more in their rules than they did in God and than they did in his word. And since they trusted more and more in their rules, their rules became bigger and bigger and God's word became smaller and smaller. And, and so the, the rules ended up exceeding what scripture actually taught. The, the Pharisees, for example, um, well, uh, let me hold that because we're gonna get to that here in a second when we see this Pharisee's prayer. Um, well, let's just go on next, let's do that. Let's look at verse 11. The, the Pharisee, Jesus says, of the two guys who went up to pray, he was standing by himself. Now this was common for people to go up to the temple to pray. One, the temple was at the highest point in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in a mount, on a mountain, and so people naturally went up. When you read up in scripture, don't think north, think up, okay? So they went up to the temple to pray, and he was standing by himself. That, that was pretty normal. There were two times of public prayer at nine in the morning and at three in the afternoon, and, and often people would stand to pray. Uh, sometimes with their hands lifted, their heads bowed, or sometimes with their heads look, lifted up to heaven to pray. Uh, but that's often how they prayed. But look at the content of this guy's prayer. Remember, Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. He says, God, I thank you. That, that's a good way to start a prayer. Would you agree? To thank God, to thank him for the good things he's done in your life for his grace, for, for even the ways maybe he's rescued you and saved you and prevented you from going down roads you wouldn't have wanted to go. Just his grace to you in so many ways. Uh, he goes, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Now, at face value, 
that, that can actually be an okay prayer, right? In the sense that God, I thank you, because then he says, talks about extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I thank you, God, that I haven't, that, that by your grace and your grace alone, I haven't fallen into this trap or I haven't uh, uh, succumbed to this temptation. Those, that's a good prayer, to thank God for his protection in your life. But that's really not the heart of this guy. I thank you that I, notice how many times he says I. I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Remember they both went up to pray, Jesus said in this story. I thank you that I'm not like him. He looked down on him because he didn't match his standard of righteousness. And then he starts bragging, look at the eyes. I fast twice a week. So you remember the Pharisees, they, they made rules, but then they added to those rules. They, they initially wanted to follow the Lord, but over time those rules became greater. I fast twice a week. But you know, in, in, the, in scripture, that the Jewish people were commanded to fast uh, one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, but the Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and on Thursdays. And it's good to fast, by the way. It's good to fast as a, a spiritual discipline. Fasting is where you uh, deny some type of physical appetite or physical reality to enhance something spiritual in your life, right? So if you fast from food, uh, for instance, you might fast from food and just be reminded that, you know, my dependence is not on food alone, but it's on God and his word. And so during the day, if you're fasting and you find yourself hungry, it's a reminder of your dependence on God and a reminder to pray. Um, or if you fast from, from media or from uh, everyone's favorite, Facebook, be a good permanent fast. Um, if, again, you're denying something, why? So that you can focus that time and that energy on the Lord. So fasting is a really, really good thing. And uh, scripture teaches us to fast. Uh, but these guys fasted not necessarily just to please God, but because they thought somehow in their fasting, in doing this, they were earning God's favor. And they did it not only to earn God's favor, but in a public way to earn the favor of other people. Hence, Jesus says, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it. Don't brag about it in front of other people. Don't let other people know you're fasting. Now, is that a command that says, if I'm fasting and you find out that now me fasting doesn't count? No. Does that mean if we fast all together and we all know we're fasting to seek the Lord that that doesn't count? No. Jesus is saying don't do it in such a way that you're trying to earn favor. Do it in such a way that you're recognizing your dependence on God and turning to him, do you see? But, but these guys, they fasted twice a week to earn favor with God and with, especially with people. And not only this, but I give tithes of all that I get. Well, the rules for God's people were to give tithes on their first fruits, on certain parts of the things that they gathered and their income. But this guy, he, he tithes on, on everything. Everything. Now I wonder, I wonder how many Mondays or Thursdays he picked a grape and ate it. How many Mondays and Thursdays, you know, that, that he cheated on that? Or how many times when uh, maybe instead of giving a tenth, he only gave 9.89% of 
of what he got. There's, God's favoring you isn't in your perfection in doing all the rules, right? But the Pharisees believed this. And sadly, sometimes we can fall into that trap even today that we believe that God's favor is dependent on us living up to a certain standard. And that he, until we meet that standard, he's not gonna be pleased with us. He's not gonna love us. That we have to earn his favor. And you know why sometimes we think that? Because in our sinfulness, sometimes we put those sorts of restrictions on other people, don't we? And I'll trust you once you earn my favor. And we can be like the Pharisees, maybe with good intention, but actually scorning other people. Well, um, the Pharisees pledged to obey every minute detail, not only of God's law, but also of all their traditions and rules for life. And as Jesus had taught everyone to pray persistently in the parable prior to this, now uh, he's going after those who put all their hope in only praying persistently and, and ultimately in their own actions. Some people trust only in their own goodness, you see? But there's others. There's other people who trust in Jesus's goodness. They trust in the goodness of of God, the goodness of Christ. Uh, the, The Pharisee stood by himself. He prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. You know, extortioners, liars, unjust, unrighteous people, the cheaters, the adulterers. Uh, especially not like this tax collector over here. I'm glad I'm not like him. I mean, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the Pharisee's action in his prayer provide a picture of his heart. And uh, in uh, the following verse, in verse 13, we, we see the tax collector. This was the second guy Jesus talked about in his parable. The first was the Pharisee who had all the confidence in himself, you know, kind of like the motorcycle driver who thought he had crossed the finish line when in reality he was nowhere close to it. And the tax collector was the one who was despised. Do you know much about tax collectors in Jesus' day? See, in Jesus' day, Israel was occupied by Rome as part of the Roman Empire. And and the Romans uh, exacted taxes on all the people in their empire. And uh, the way they did this, often in the places that they would conquer, is not by sending in some, you know, uh, high flutant Roman official to go door to door and collect all the taxes, but they would actually contract that out to tax collectors, tax gatherers, or sometimes they were even called tax farmers because they would harvest in uh, the money that was due to the Roman government. And so in harvesting that in, when they contracted you, if you decided, yeah, I'll work for you, I'll I'll collect taxes, they would say, great, here's how much we want. We want X amount of dollars. Whatever you charge above and beyond, that is yours to keep. That's how you'll be paid, basically a commission. Well, the, the tax collectors, the tax farmers would go and they'd collect it, and most of them, you can imagine the temptation to be dishonest in that, and most of them were, hence the reputation of tax collectors. 
they would add on a higher commission than what was really needed for them to live, and many became very wealthy. It was a lucrative career, but it was on the backs of other people and taking advantage of them. And add on to this that in, uh, in Israel, uh, Rome was viewed as an occupier, as uh, evil, as, uh, I don't know what side of the political aisle you're on, but that other side, that's who they were, right? I mean, just, yeah, I don't know about them. And, and the people who then became tax collectors were seen as uh, turning their backs on the Jewish people and turning their backs on God. And how could you do this? How could you betray us like this? Aren't you Jewish? How can you be a tax collector? Curious, that's one of the guys Jesus recruited to be a disciple, Levi, later known as Matthew. But the tax collectors were just absolutely despised because of their reputation for cheating, their support of Rome, their constant contact with the unclean Gentiles. And uh, in fact, when, when the tax collectors asked John the Baptist what they needed to do, do you remember what John told them? John said, uh, don't collect any more than you're required to. <laughs> don't collect any more than you're required to. Luke chapter three. And uh, those who became tax collectors put shame on their family, their friends, the Jewish people who did, and they were excommunicated from the synagogue. Uh, they were the most despicable, often regarded as traitors. Uh, the Pharisees hated them. They didn't even want tax, tax gatherers admitted as witnesses or giving an honorary office. And so when we... Uh, here in a moment what Jesus says about the tax collector. And when the Pharisees heard it, they would have done a little bit of a double take because the Pharisees were the righteous ones, right? They're the ones who went up to the temple to pray with their hands lifted, standing by themselves before God. At this point in time, up, up to this point uh, through verse 12, the Pharisees hearing this parable were probably going, hmm, yeah, that's a good Pharisee. Yeah, he's doing a good job praying. Yeah, he's, he's, he's tithing, he's... He's, uh, he's fasting, he's doing everything he needs to do. He's not like all these other people. And then Jesus says this, but the tax collector, wait a second, the, a, a tax collector went up to pray? What are you talking about? But the tax collector, no, notice the difference here. He stood far off. Now, uh, could have been far off from the Pharisee, whom maybe the tax collector deemed as more righteous and more holy than him, could have been far off from the temple where he just didn't feel worthy to approach. We're not really told, but he was, he was definitely far off, whereas the, the Pharisee was up close, hands lifted high, right? Um, but when the Pharisee's hands and head were lifted high, look at the tax collector. He, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. You ever been in that spot where you just uh, feel shame to the point that it's, it's hard to even lift your head? I mean, you see this in kids a lot, right? You, you can just read their guilt at times depending on the child. Uh, but, but as adults, we can live this way too. Just buried underneath our shame and our guilt. And uh, this guy, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead he, he beat his breast. This is just a, an outward sign of 
of, of his, his shame and his guilt and of his despair. That was a common thing in that day. That expression. And look what he says. He doesn't say, God, I've tried so hard. I've done all these things. No, what's he say? God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Be merciful. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy and grace are really two sides of the same coin. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. He's saying, God, uh, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I'm a tax collector. You know the ways I've messed up. You know the the guilt in my heart. You you know all these things. Be be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve. I'm a sinner. He he confessed who he truly is. He, He knew his place. And in fact, if you could see this in Greek, a better translation is actually, uh, it's a definite article. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Sometimes in translating things from Greek into English, uh, we lose a little bit of the power behind it just from that language. Just like when you translate from any language to another, there's, there's miscommunication and it can be hard, right? We experience that maybe even day to day depending on your occupation. Um, but, but really what he's saying is, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. It echoes Paul, right? Where he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. This guy wasn't comparing himself to anyone else. He's like, are you looking for the sinner? That's me. <laughs> There's something else here though too we miss out on by, by uh, not seeing it in the original language or not speaking that language, is that when, uh, when Jesus uses the word merciful here in telling the story, that word isn't the common term for mercy, but it's actually the one that the high priest used, uh, and it's referenced in Hebrews of Jesus, of going uh, into the mercy seat and, and, and seeking God's mercy. It's a mercy that refers to atoning mercy. Not just be merciful to me, like don't give me the consequence I deserve in this moment, but be merciful to me, don't give me hell, which I deserve. Uh, Atone for my sin, fix what I've messed up. Do you see? Which for the Pharisees to hear that language, one to hear a tax collector now praying as if he were the high priest, you can imagine them getting pretty fired up. And then Jesus uh, caps it off with his final statement where in this statement we realize that um, while some trust in their own goodness and others trust in Jesus' goodness, there's only one of those that leads to true life. Only one of them does. Only one leads to life. Here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. We're gonna talk about what that means here in just a moment. It means he was declared righteous. Uh, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Jesus is talking about the difference here between pride and humility. Pride is when I think too highly of myself. Humility is when I know my place. True biblical humility is knowing my place. Now, uh, knowing my place means that I know that I'm uh, honored above everything else in creation, every other creature, humanity. We are honored by God, but we're not God. We know our place. And when I think too highly of myself, as if uh, my standard is the greatest standard and not God's like the Pharisees did, then I elevate myself with a big ego, right? I'm, I'm prideful in that way. In the other way, sometimes I can be prideful in thinking way too low of myself as it relates to God's image on my life that's been stamped upon me. And in any case, true humility is knowing your place. And, and part of that is, is knowing your place spiritually in your sin and in your need for a savior that you could be like the tax collector. See, he's the one whose way leads to life. Where you could say to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, Paul writes this to Titus, a young pastor. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish. Any of you who've become a Christian, don't fall into the trap of the Pharisee. Don't do it. Never forget that you and I, we were once foolish. The truth is sometimes we still are foolish, right? But in the sense of eternally, we were, we were disobedient, we were led astray, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy. We were hated by others and, and we were hating one another. We were trusting in our own goodness and it wasn't enough. But when the goodness and loving kindness of who appeared? Of God, of God our savior, namely of Jesus, he saved us, he did. Notice this, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our own goodness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, he, when we trust in Christ, he makes us new. He washes us, he cleanses us. The, the Pharisee thought somehow by doing all these good things and, and praying in such a way and, and recognizing, oh, I'm not like them, that he was cleaning himself up thinking that somehow he was earning God's favor and salvation and life. But no, it, it's the Holy Spirit who washes us, whom Jesus poured out on us richly God poured him out richly on us through Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As we wrap, let me just end with this. Then I have one last challenge for you. Uh, when the goodness of our Savior, Jesus, appeared, he saved us, not according to works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, right? So what does that look like? Well, Jesus, uh, we read there that, that he uh, atones, he satisfies God's wrath. See, the, the Father, uh, God the Father, uh, there, there's a standard of holiness, and it's not the standard of the Pharisees, and it's not the standard of you, it's perfection, perfect holiness. And, and if God doesn't have that standard, he's really not a good God, is he? If he caves on that, 
he's not consistent with himself. And why would we trust him then? If he lied and said, here's the standard, but I'm gonna lower it for you. Well, he, he doesn't lower it, but he does atone for it. He sends Jesus who dies on the cross, lives a perfect life, dies in my place and yours, taking the full punch of God's wrath for sin. He satisfies God's wrath. See, God's wrath doesn't go unsatisfied. It's all poured out on Jesus. And if it's not all poured out on Jesus, guess who it's poured out on? On me. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, right? The propitiation. He takes the full punch of God's wrath. Isaiah says he drank the, the cup of God's wrath to the dregs, to the last drop. He satisfied it all. And after Jesus did that perfectly and then rose from the grave, the Father declares us, this is what we read, uh, righteous. He, we're, we're justified. Notice it's not because of anything we've done, but all because of what Jesus has done and God's mercy. He, he doesn't declare that, oh, you've done enough and now you're righteous. No, he simply declares us righteous because of what Jesus has done. And what Jesus does then is uh, he redeems you and me. He sets us free from the power of sin and sets us free to live a life that's honoring to God. His forgiveness, like we sang, right? It's like sweet, sweet honey on our lips. And notice, how much have you and I done so far to this point? Where are all the arrows pointing? Any of them coming from us? No. We haven't done any of it. And then the spirit begins to work in our life. And even what we do do, which is simply believe, the Holy Spirit enables us to believe and put faith in Christ. And, and friend, your redemption is not going to be accomplished by trusting in your own goodness or thinking somehow you can finally get it together. It's not in self-help. It's in Jesus' help. It's in his goodness. And in, in knowing your place that you need a savior. Uh, Paul wrote this, he said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do, it right, do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. You resonate with that one? He says, but now a righteousness from God that's apart from the law, apart from my works, has been made known. And this righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who would believe. And it just begs the question, where's your confidence? Is your confidence in your own goodness or in Jesus' goodness? If it's in your own, uh, then here again from Acts 3 as we did this morning, repent, turn, turn back so that your sins can be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, the Savior appointed for you, Jesus. Let me pray.